Over the last three or four years uh, running the podcast, I've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't in terms of bringing artificial intelligence into an existing business. How does AI integrate into the enterprise? How does it integrate into existing companies? And although we shared a lot of tidbits through the podcast and through various industry-specific articles, until recently, I hadn't put it all together. If you go on Google and you type in enterprise AI adoption or AI adoption enterprise, um, you're going to see us as somewhere in the top five links there where you can just type in enterprise into techemergence.com and you'll see the article. Probably the most complete article that I've done on what existing business leaders need to know if AI isn't their specialty, but they're considering applying it. Really a lot of hype busting and probably the most dense hype busting piece that we've ever done for the site. So I was very, very happy with it. Um, And I decided I wanted to do some interviews specifically on that topic. I wanted to knuckle down to a couple actual full-length podcasts about getting data science and AI right in an existing company, how to avoid the common errors, and how to be able to sort of make that transition and change in a company's DNA in a way that's beneficial and not in a way that uh, ends up being kind of more of a detriment than a help. And that's exactly what I aim to do this week. When I was doing an in-depth piece on the AI in Austin ecosystem, as many of you know who are tech emergence readers, we've done ecosystem studies of the Montreal scene, the Boston scene, the Austin scene, we're doing one on Atlanta, and we're covering a lot of sort of major cities. Um, And when I was there, I got an interview in with a fellow by the name of Brian Jacobs. Now, Brian helps run data.world, which is a firm based out in Austin. And uh, Brian was nice enough to actually give me a ride to go speak to the folks at Cognitive Scale, some of the leaders down there. He kind of hitched me a a 20-minute ride in his car. We got to riffing a lot. And by the end of the conversation, I realized that this is a fellow who, you know, from a master's degree in computer science, went right into applying data science and AI initially at HomeAway and then at other companies and has done a bunch of advising and now is is running data.world and helping companies make better sense of their own data. And I really wanted to dive into that topic specifically. So this entire podcast is about how can companies who are making the transition from having data in some way, shape, or form to then using it in a meaningful and fruitful way in their company to leverage AI applications, uh, to leverage functionality that otherwise wouldn't be possible without AI. And there's a lot of missteps in terms of getting the infrastructure and the piping right and making that happen. And that's really what we dive into. Brian brings a lot of experience to the table in this conversation. I think there's a lot of kind of key points around the right way to think about data, as well as the right way to treat it within a company that will hopefully help a lot of our listeners uh, avoid some of the common pitfalls as they kind of inch their way towards AI uh, in their own businesses. And again, as I mentioned before, Um, This is sort of inspired by an article that took me a very long time to write, which is Enterprise Adoption of AI, which you can see at Tech Emergence. If you just type in Enterprise Adoption of AI into Google and you're anywhere in the United States, you're probably going to see it uh, right at the top on the first page as well. That's probably the deepest dive that we've done. So if you want a a full, robust coverage of that whole process, you can read it there. But this time in this interview, we're going to talk specifically about data. And I hope that this is helpful for everybody tuned in. So without further ado, I'm Dan Fagella. This is the AI and Industry Podcast, and we now have Brian from Data World.
So Brian, where I wanted to start first is sort of the pipes and plumbing and fundamentals of data work that sort of have to happen before people use machine learning. People learn about AI applications in all different business functions and different industries on this show. And it seems like it's something they'd just be excited to dive into. But I know you've seen in both the company you're at now and growing very quickly with companies that have had bigger data science teams, that there's a lot that goes into setting up your data to ever be able to do AI effectively. Talk about what you see as common errors of companies that maybe try to jump too quick and what that dynamic looks like. Yeah, I think I mean I, th- I think that's that's exactly the right kind of question to be to be asking. Uh, you know, I, I think the common error is that AI can be very exciting. You see this opportunity to answer these really hard questions and drive value from that. And, and you're right in that if you don't, a really common error is just not even really knowing what you have in terms of data assets, how those things can be pulled together. And when you start off from this place of not having a clear picture of what you have and how that all relates together and what what knowledge you already have about your data. You know, one of the biggest errors you can make is just simply trying to use, you know, really advanced, sophisticated techniques, which you know are expensive to stand up when, you know, really straightforward techniques would apply. I mean, you know, a common meme that I hear data scientists talk a lot about, you know, is is a common thing that that happens is, you know, linear regression is a very powerful tool, right? If you've got, you know, tabular data, statistical data that represents a, you know, a, a corpus of observations you can go a long way with, you know, with getting predictive capabilities out of doing some really simple things. And, and you know, ultimately, I mean, AI, you know, when you're talking about AI, if you're, if you're focusing on kind of like the machine learning brand of AI, which is what most folks are talking about, yeah. it's good at two things. It's good at categorizing things and it's good at predicting things. When what you're doing, when you, what you're looking for is that predictive capability, a lot of times, you know, when you're going from zero predictive capability, you know, you can go from zero predictive capability to really, really valuable predictive capability by just doing some really straightforward statistical methods. But you can't do that if you don't if you don't start off knowing what you have. Maybe knowing what you have, again, is another common blunder here. I know off microphone, you kind of hinted at that. Maybe not sort of getting a solid lay of the land as step one for prepping your infrastructure and prepping your eventual AI projects is kind of something that maybe people skip over. What does that process look like maybe if it's done well? Because it sounds like maybe a lot of folks just say, okay, well, we we need this recommendation engine. What's the data we'll need for that? As opposed to kind of thinking about the company and all your needs in the future and where this stuff comes from, what what does it look like when it's, it's done in an orchestrated way by someone who knows what they're doing? Sure. I'll start that answer a little bit backwards by saying, you know, one of the things that people do when they do it wrong and then you know, kind of by contrast show what doing it right looks more like, you know, the thing that happens more often than not when it's not done well is that, you know, the way that data is managed happens in a very kind of evolutionary fashion, right? Data comes into the system, you know, it comes comes into comes into an organization in a lot of different formats. So you you have, you know, you have, you may have a data warehouse where you collect up you know, relational database, information from relational databases. You have a data lake where you're collecting up, you know, long, generally long, skinny event type data that's stored on, you know, on on a large distributed system like Hadoop. You've got a lot of individual applications, each of which might have their own, you know, way of storing, storing data. All these things are incompatible. There's generally not a consistent catalog or notion of how all these things contain information about your business and, and about relevant details. There's just, you know, the list of systems that have data and the experts in each of those systems that know 
how to get the data that, out of those systems for the, the tasks they've done. Contrasting all that with what does doing it right look more like, you know, the, the answer to that really is all that data are ultimately, when you boil away the different file formats, the different systems they might be stored in, they're all ultimately a set of facts about real world entities, right? You might have a, a database of your customers that kind of has, you know, information about who they are and what you know about them. You have databases that contain information about products you sell. And then you have log information about how have people interacted with your system, with your platform, with your product, with your presence on your, your digital presence. All of those things, more importantly than, than the formats and the way they're stored, they are a set of facts about things in the real world that are relevant to you know, your business or your organization. And so doing it right to me is about making that representation, that notion that the data that drives my business is fundamentally that set of information and is not its SQL databases here and it's a, and it's a knowledge graph here yeah. and it's a systems here. Seeing it as uh, this is a way of something in the real world being represented and held uh, in a particular format as opposed to maybe just looking at the kludge of various and sundry formats. That's right. It sounds like, you know, as a process, sort of organizing and orchestrating what do we have, where could it be valuable, kind of mapping it out in a strategic way that will eventually allow us to maybe build a better infrastructure altogether, maybe connect the dots between types of data in a way that's kind of sustained so we don't have to do it over and over again every time we want to do something useful, you know, formatting things in the right way as they're being stored so that it can be useful with other information it needs to be matched with, whatever the case may be. This is a extremely strategic process. This is like a very, this is not a back of a napkin kind of a thing. And it, it's also not something that I would imagine you could do well if you haven't had to live, breathe, and make sense of the data jungle in your life already. So it seems to me like, you know, there's got to be some very particular expertise in the room and there has to be enough time to really take the time to make this process go well. Who needs to be there to make this happen? Who are the people in the room when decisions at this strategic level are made? Because this is going to, defining the data infrastructure of a company is a non-trivial task. Who's in there putting their heads together to make sure this doesn't get screwed up? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And and I think also, you know, this is a this is an area where, you know, generally speaking, no one looks at this problem, you know, really in anger with a with an action-oriented approach to to solving it until you've kind of reached a size and a scale where where the problem's already already quite large. I mean, yep. no, nobody sets out to say, I'm going to go try to bring in this incompatible set of systems. What ends up happening, and I think, you know, a real, a real part with how data has not traditionally been managed that well as enterprises grow, is that, you know, it's a strategic decision. I think that's exactly right. It's, it's a strategic thing because the costs of doing it wrong are huge in the aggregate, yep. You know, but the cost of trying to do it right is not enough for any of the individual product, you know, any, any individual consumer or set of consumers to bear. So you know, you're, you're not going to have one arm of your organization go off and solve this because that's not how data works, right? Each arm of the organization can do it arbitrarily well for themselves, but the problem you have is that the data doesn't flow across the organization. So you know, it's several people. It's, if if an organization has a chief data officer, this I would view this as probably the single most important mandate for that person, oh, yeah. right? Because if you don't have data management such that you know that, that you understand what you have and how data relates in all the various sources, 
then everything else that chief data officer is, is meant to achieve is you know either impossible or 80 or 90% more expensive than it needs to be. Beyond that, you need CIO type folks who are going to be responsible for the systems. You need, you know, there, there's obviously, you know, as organizations get larger, there's lots of, you know, compliance types of issues that, that come in. So there's going to be other stakeholders. And there's some amount of, you know, dealing with inconsistent siloed systems that is just, you know, going to be a necessary evil, right? You're not going to replace the the notion of master data management type systems that exist to kind of provide governance over, over fixed points of data that, you know, drive the core of, of an enterprise. And, and, you know, those you know, it, when, when those systems are in place, you're kind of going to be beholden to the choices that have been made, at least for some period of time, where I think, you know, you can start to do it right is as somebody who's responsible for the more flexible elements of a data strategy, the data lake, the data warehouse, the ways that applications, you know, acquire, consume and produce data to make those more and more and more focused on how data can be recorded and can be shared in a way that that it can be understood and consumed by a diverse set of applications without having to be constantly reformatted, repurposed, and re-understood. Yes, I think, well, that, that's a big challenge. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the insight into that problem was part of the impetus of starting Data World, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Clearly something you've had to deal with kind of in the real world as well. I guess, given that, I'm hearing what you're saying now, and I'm, I just want to clarify something really quickly, make sure that I have the right idea so that the audience does as well. It sounds like you're brainstorming on, you know, where's this information coming from? We need to think about a few things. You're going to probably be able to add to this, Brian, but I want to be able to kind of nutshell it because I want the audience to be able to have a couple ideas that they know they can really move with. So it seems like we need to know what information could be valuable, where it comes from, how it gets stored, all that. We need to know how we might want to use it now and how we might want to use it in the future and kind of take those things into consideration. Maybe a recommendation engine is going to be one of the pivotal, most critical things that we do with our data ever. Maybe it totally doesn't matter. And we're really looking for like price prediction stuff. Who knows? I have no idea. I'm giving random examples. But, you know, thinking about what are the most important current and future applications, think about where's all the data, how does it come in? And then, I guess, only maybe when those two are tackled could you say, okay, in an ideal world, how would these come in? How would they be stored? How would they relate? How would they be formatted when they are stored? And how do we need to build that? It, it sounds, that's how I'm nutshelling what you're saying, but I'm probably missing one or two things here. So please do correct that. But I, I want to tuck this in real tight for the people who want to think about these things for their own companies. Yeah, no, actually, I think, I think you put it really well. And I'd say I, I 90% agree with the way you framed it, but I would, I would change one bit of that with, 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 with a little nuance. You know, I think it's absolutely correct to think that, you know, you want to pull the data into a format where, where everything is in as consistent and simple a format as possible. You want to start to understand what are the use cases I have today and how can I utilize this data for those use cases and how do I build systems that let me do that. The thing that I would change a little bit is is the notion of you want to understand what your future use cases are. You know, the, the twist on that I'd say is like you don't you're you're not going to be able to understand all the future use cases you're going to want to have, right? What you want to do is instead think about your your data in terms of I want to store the actual facts that I know. What is the actual raw data that's been collected? And how do I represent that as facts about the world that I can utilize going forward? 
uh, without having to think about how I'm going to utilize those. And, like a great example for that of that would be, you know, if you think about taking a a data set that's you know a stream of user events, how people have interacted with your your website. There's a lot of different types of things that you might want to do to predict those to predict users' future behavior or to categorize users into, into certain cohorts based on that data stream. And part of any predictive system is going to involve feature engineering off of that data set. You're going to start to simplify that data set and start to reduce the amount of complexity in that data by, by producing simpler derivative features of that data. For example, you're going to want to categorize a user's session by saying, you know, Dan logged into my website and did this and then did this and then did this. Therefore, I can qualify that session as a shopping session where he actually, you know, went through the process and looked, for, looked at some products and ended up purchasing things. But in the future, I might want to understand your behavior in a different way. If I start to modify that data in such that all I'm really persisting is that simplified feature model of, you know, this was a shopping session that happened on this date. I want to go back to that raw data. And then that raw data, what you've got is just a set of observations about the world, right? At this exact timestamp, Dan saw this page and clicked this button. And then he saw another page and he clicked that button. The nuance I'd say there is just like it's, it's, it's about thinking about how you get that, that, that data represented in a way where it's going to have maximum utility across all conceivable use cases because you're actually recording everything you know about what's happened in as simple a format as possible. And then you're building enriched views of that data for individual applications for individual use cases. Clearly something that's multiple days with whiteboards and people in the room, including you said chief data officer, you said CIO. I imagine we might want our major subject matter experts in the different areas where data is created. That might be our marketing people. That might be finance people. Is, is that safe to say as well in terms of in the brainstorm room? It's all safe to say. And it's also safe to say that, you know, it's days in a whiteboard and the days in a room with a whiteboard and lots of planning, you know, and then the actual implementation of this, again, more often than not, you're going to be solving this problem when you already have a problem. You know, I'd love to also chat about, you know, how do you get in front of this if you're, you know, a small organization that is thinking about, hey, someday I'm going to be 100 times bigger and I don't want to end up with this messy data problem to unwind. But in the real world, what happens is you're generally asking yourself this question and, and figuring this out when you've already got the kind of mess I outlined where you've got, yeah. you know, thousands or tens of thousands of different data sets. They're all inconsistent and all over the map and you're trying to rein it all in. Yeah, so maybe people should accept that, okay, you may kind of be learning this the hard way the same way everybody else does because like you said, the, the critical mass of value to set this up every step of the way in the early days might just really not be there. But eventually you're going to hit that threshold where everybody understands, okay, we, you know, we got to come together as a team and make this a major concerted effort so this is easier in the future. And just to clarify one quick thing, and then maybe we'll wrap with a final question, Brian. You know, you mentioned a chief data officer. Seems to me like, again, this is a strategic perspective thing. I would think, this could be an ignorant thought, I would think that someone who has had to do this before would be the best person to probably do this in a given company. Maybe they're not the only person, but the hard lessons you learn from categorizing things the wrong way seem like lessons that are really important to carry into when you know, you're going to be doing this for, for a new firm. 
what is the experience of that chief data officer or the person who's really going to run the show on this effort? Because it seems like there would be some of the people listening, there's a chance that it's most of the people listening, Brian, but some of the people listening do not have this person currently in their company. And I guess my question to you is, who are they looking for for this? You know, what are the prerequisites in terms of experience or academia or whatever you think is important to make sure that somebody in the room kind of can be the puppet master overall or maybe the, the arbiter overall of kind of the, the grand orchestration here? Because there's so many ways to mess this up. I just think that talent is probably very important. I think that's a really, really great question. And I, I think the most important characteristic, and, and you, you, you said it, is going to be experience. It's going to be having run up against this kind of problem and, and actually, you know, faced it from that kind of enterprise-wide uh, strategic point of view of, you know, individual teams are somehow or another making it work and getting things done. But overall, you see a problem and the innovation starts to slow down. And the projects end up being, you know, larger and more expensive than they need to be. And the number of, you know, incompatible new data sets is growing faster than the actual value, value delivered products that are meant to be based on them. I, th I think that the person to, who can fill that role, you know, at the current state of the world, I think that person might come from a number of different places. This might be a biased point of view because it's kind of the, the world that I came through. So, you know, take, take it with appropriate no, no, grain of salt. Well, that's that's I, why I, we I interview a lot of different people. So I'm totally, yeah. I'm totally cool that you've got your own experience. Lay, lay it on us from your vantage point, man. It's valuable. I do think that in current state, I think more often than not, this person is going to come up through an engineering organization. Um, and one of the reasons I think that's true, it's, it's, those folks are going to be close to it. They're going to see these kind of problems firsthand as they're trying to, you know, build productized solutions on top of the data. But another reason is I think, you know, in the engineering world, the product in it, you know, the technology product and engineering world, the notion of tackling very large problems through, through an agile methodology that kind of iteratively identifies, you know, what's, what is the, what is the one way I can start moving this, this large hairy problem in the right direction and deliver value and then build on that success to go larger and larger, you know, and eventually fix and migrate an entire bad system into a better world. That's something that, you know, technology, you know, the product, you know, the software technology products are, are actually very accustomed to thinking like that. And there's, there's processes and in, in organizational structures that make that work. In my experience, most of the time I've seen somebody be really successful at rebuilding somebody's data management architecture to work the, you know, in the better model. That's their past experience. Got it. Okay, so they've come up through an engineering background. Maybe they've had to, I guess, see the problems up close and maybe have to, having previously had to solve the problems up close. Uh, I don't know if I'm reaching too far in saying that, but I guess that's my inkling. You let me no, know. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I mean, if you're talking about kind of a, a whole well-rounded chief data officer, you know, type individual, there's certainly going to be you know, some notion of statistical, mathematical kind of analy analytical chops and, and engagement in that world. And that won't hurt in this kind of data management refactoring either, because you want, you'll have a better understanding of how, how people are going to consume the data assets. But it's not the most important set of attributes to have. If your problem is, I've got this panoply of disconnected, incompatible sources and, you know, stores of data. And what I really want to do is pull that together into something that is, you know, going to be a greater point of leverage for my enterprise. That is fundamentally kind of an engineering problem. And that's where the skills that are going to drive that change are going to come from. Point noted. Okay. I think that's helpful for the people at home. In closing here, Brian, I mean, if there's anything else in terms of best practices and things to bear in mind for companies who are going to go through the process of getting their 
piping and infrastructure set up so that they can eventually leverage AI. Maybe this is pharma people. Maybe this is insurance people. We have people from so many industries listening in. Any other sort yeah. of points to bear in mind for the business folks tuned in? What do they need to understand and, and maybe do as they enter into their own toil in this process to eventually make their way to machine learning? Yeah, I think one thing that I would encourage folks to spend a little time educating themselves on because it's not a very mainstream kind of technology and it's a very powerful way of thinking about these problems is, is the notion of, of semantic data. And there's a common way that, a, that companies who are trying to actually help enterprises with this problem brand themselves and, and then it, as a semantic data link. So that's a good, you know, kind of Google search term to start your start your understanding. But the semantic data technology this is something that, you know, that, that our company's built on, although we're not, you know, one of the semantic data lakes. I think our company is, is involved in this solution, but there's a lot of other pieces of this, of this solution that folks should make themselves aware of. Yep. But this is really just the notion of treating data as data, like I said, and, you know, treating data as atomic facts that you can start to model the true, the true meaning of and maximize the ability for that data to be used across a wide variety of contexts. If you look at this space a little bit, you'll see that, you know, kind of large companies with big data footprints within their companies like Goldman Sachs are, you know, they kind of famously have talked about their semantic data lake. And the key thing here is we're talking earlier about, you know, across an enterprise, the cost to doing this wrong is really high. And when you talk about individual you know, individual teams and projects, they tend to not be able to tackle this because the cost of fixing it is high enough for them that it really comes down to the, this to the, to the notion of like network effects. If you think about how network effects work in any in any domain, when the network is small, the value of adding yourself to the network is low. And yep. if the cost of adding yourself to the network is high, it's not do worth it. doing. Yep. When the network is high, the value is the value is high per node, and so it's the, the value starts to outweigh the cost. It's why Google and Goldman Sachs and Palantir and the NSA can all make massive use of these kind of graph-like networked data solutions because they internally within themselves hit a critical mass where they just couldn't afford to do it any other way. And I think companies are starting to get there and they don't know it yet. And so the, that massive cost that can be hard to articulate is really a signal to me that you know companies doing are not getting network effects out of their data, but they're trying to solve the kind of problems that would be empowered by network effects. And so really, when I say look at the semantic technology, it, it's a way to actually link all your data into a network where the value of every new piece of data in the network is massively increased and also accrues value to every other piece of data in the network. And that's really what you're, what you're trying to achieve. And so it's going to help with it's going to help massively with big, complex things that need a lot of diverse data sets and need them to be well-labeled and contextualized, like machine learning. But frankly, it's also going to help with every other thing you want to do with your data, including all the, all the, all the ways that you're still going to want to have human beings looking at the data and making decisions off of it. Got it. Understanding sort of those semantic terms as business leaders may, in fact, be useful and handy seems like another one of the major takeaways here is that no matter how you slice it, this is probably going to be, it's, it sounds like there's no way around it being a messy problem that we are still, as enterprises and businesses, kind of stumbling through. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any easy answers here at all. Not that we, I was necessarily looking for them, but it sounds like that's something important for business leaders to bear in mind. I totally agree. There's no easy answer. This is not a, you know, this is not a, a solved problem in the industry at all. The thing that I firmly believe, and this was kind of a, you know, big, you know, this is obviously a bet we made with how our company is organized, but I'm, I'm very convinced of this, is that, you know, the solution already does exist. The fundamental technology that powers the solution to this problem that enterprises are starting to face already exists. It is this semantic data technology. 
It's just that it hasn't really been, it hasn't really become kind of part of the mainstream aware way that enterprises approach data. That's because we're really just hitting the point where a critical mass of companies are hitting a critical mass of data where not, not being able to leverage these network effects is just too expensive to go on any other way. Huh, interesting. Interesting to see if that will be the lever point. I'm certain that there's other factors and other technologies and you know other concepts and approaches, but clearly you guys are making a bet with Data World in, in this direction. Clearly there's something to be said of that network effect factor because otherwise the amount you have to endure before it's finally so painful that you're forced to do this just seems like a bad way to go about it. It would seem it seem good to to have it be as useful as soon as possible. And hopefully some of what you've shared today, Brian, will help our audience do a little bit of that. I think push comes to shove. They're at least grounded in the understanding that this is tough, but also hopefully grounded in the understanding that it's possible if done strategically. And Brian, I sincerely appreciate you sharing some of your best insights here and helping people along with that. Oh, likewise, I appreciate you taking the time to, to have me on the on the call. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.